Well, my text for this morning is from the book of Zechariah, chapter 1, verse 8, that reads, I saw by night, and behold, a man riding upon a red horse, and he stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom, and behind him were their red horses, speckled and white. My sermon is titled, God with us and God for us. And the book of Zechariah is an interesting book. I remember when uh, I first came to preach uh, upon this book, uh, a friend of mine uh, that I went to, to seminary to, with, uh, we were talking about where, what we were preaching on in the coming weeks. And he said, well, you're going to the book of Zechariah. It's, a, it's an interesting book. It's a book that is full of pictures for us. A book that is full of symbolic pictures. Uh, pictures uh, that present to us realities that otherwise we would struggle to comprehend. By way of introduction, let me just tell you a little bit about Zechariah. If you're uh, perhaps uh, struggling to understand where Zechariah fits in the history of the people of God, it is helpful to understand uh, the chronology. Where is Zechariah coming in uh, in the history of of the people in the history of the nation. Zechariah begins his ministry at a key juncture, at a key point in the, in the life uh, in the history of the Israelite people. King Cyrus had, of Persia had granted to the nation the, 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 free, the freedom, the permission to return to their homeland. And the chosen people of God had just uh, come in they had returned. They had had the, possibly one of the worst experiences that an, a, a nation could have in the ancient world. As they come in, their homeland is a wreck, has been devastated by, an, by the invading armies. The, the, king David, the great King David's uh, city, the capital, Jerusalem, Jerusalem is, has been laid uh, uh, to waste, has been plundered. The temple, the temple of Solomon has been devastated and has been flattened. Many of those who are now returning are just a few of those who, who have been granted permission. It's just a small number of Israelites coming back, a lot of them stayed back in Babylon and in Persia and in, in the places where they settled. So for, if you're a, an Israelite returning to, to Jerusalem, to Israel, you feel this sense of, is this it? Is this all? They decide or they, they are uh, called by God to rebuild uh, Jerusalem, to reestablish the temple, and we read of that in the book of Ezra. They start doing it, they, they build the altar, but then quickly other things come, come uh, calling and the temple remains to be built almost two decades later, 20 years later. And I find that the experience of the Israelites, the returning exiles, is not too dissimilar from our own experience. 
in our own day. As we look around, as I look in front of me, we're not that many. We're just a few. So much wrong with the world. So much wrong uh, as we look around at the people. So what hope do we have? What assurances do we have in the Word of God? And the book of Zechariah has, I think, a, a whole host of encouragement for us. There, is, there, there are prominent features in the book of Zechariah that we need to note. One of them is the necessity, the prime necessity of God's presence, of, of the Lord of hosts' presence among His people. Again, as we look around at each and every one of us, what, what is it that we have as a people? We're not the most beautiful. We're not the most smart. We're not the most numerous. We don't have all the PhDs that universities around London give. Let's be honest, we're not the most entertaining not the, the funniest. What is it that we have to offer that the world doesn't have much better in much more abundance of? I'll tell you what it is. It is God. It's not entertainment. It's not with, uh, smarts or intelligence. It's not, it's not anything else. If it is the Lord. That's what we have to offer. It's Jesus Christ and nothing else. The Messiah, the Anointed One, the One chosen by God, the Son of David, the Lord, the Son of God, the Son of Man. He is the One that we have to offer. So it is vitally important for us to be sure that He is present. And it's not a given that God is present. It is not a given just, just because we have uh, evangelical church uh, in, in the name outside in the plaque. It is not a given that God is there, is it? In fact, in the book of Revelation, a very similar book to, to the book of Zechariah, if there is a New Testament equivalent of, of the Old Testament book of Zechariah, it's the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, we read of a church, don't we? That Christ was not there present. Where was he? He was outside at the door knocking to come in. They were a lukewarm church. They were neither hot nor cold. And he was outside. He was not in their midst. He was outside of the door knocking to come in. And he says, if anyone will open the door, I'll come in and I'll sup with them. I'll feast with him. So that's one of the preeminent features of the book of Zechariah, I would say of the whole scripture, but it's preeminent in Zechariah, is the need, the primary need of God's presence. Unless God is in our midst, unless God is welcomed here, unless God is welcomed by us, unless we long to hear His voice, to know His presence, we're doomed. We have no hope. 
A second preeminent theme that comes across, uh, and I would encourage you to read through the book of Zechariah, although it's a, it's a, 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 a very uh, challenging book. There are some things that in the God's common grace, or in God's grace, not common grace, in God's grace, uh, we can glean from it. Those promises are, are obvious there. A well, second preeminent theme is the, the presence of a battle, this strife that exists, the, this e- presence of evil in the world that is battling with God's people. We read of that in, in the book of Zechariah. God speaks in Zechariah 4 of, of those who fight uh, not by might nor by power, but by His Spirit. There is a fight. There is a struggle. It, and it is not a, a physical one that we fight with, with swords and shields. It is a spiritual fight that the Apostle Paul s- speaks of, says, for we wrestle not with flesh and blood, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It is a spiritual fight that is personal as well. You remember the words of Jesus to Simon, 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 indeed Satan has asked for you. It's personal that you may be sift, uh, sifted as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. It is a, a personal spiritual fight that is strenuous. The author of Hebrews says that this battle that we are in uh, goes to the point of the shedding of blood. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. It is continual. That's why the Apostle Paul says, put on the armor, the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. So that's another theme in the book of Zechariah that we need to be aware of, is that there is a primary need of the presence of God. Why? Because there is a battle going on. And the third, uh, by implication as well, I've already alluded to it, is that there is a people, a special entity in in the world that is known to God, chosen by God, uh, to be a, a peculiar people. And throughout Scripture, it's known by name, many different names. It's the people of God. It's the body of Christ. It's, it's the, uh, the city of God, the branches of the vine. It is a special uh, grouping of people that, that are known to be the family of God. And these th- three themes are present here in this verse, verse 8. We find these realities expressed here clearly. So what do we see? First of all, we see the rider on the red horse. You come to, the, to, to this passage in verse 8, and, and the vision, so Zechariah is having these night visions, and, and they total, depending on how you count them, but usually it's accepted that they are eight night visions, eight dreams that God gave to Zechariah uh, that tend to follow this pattern, these these proeminent themes. And this first vision tells or shows Zechariah a man riding upon a red horse standing among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom. It's not the first time. And it's not the last time that God 
assures the readers of his words of his presence. You come to the book of John, uh, the, the book of Revelation by John in the, in the New Testament, and you find exactly the same thing. What is it that he sees? He sees the Son of God. In the midst of his sorrow, in the midst of his struggle, there exiled in the island of Patmos, away from, from his kindred, away from his brethren, uh, in the worst of situations, God comes to him and he shows himself present. The majesty of God. And it's what Zechariah sees. A man riding upon a red horse. Psalm 68 speaks of the Messiah that comes riding on the clouds. Comes riding with angels. He rides the heavens. We just sung about he who plants his footsteps on the sea and rides upon the storm. That's him that Zechariah sees. He sees a man riding a big red horse. It doesn't say big, but you cannot help but think of it as one of those red stallions. And he is, he's there. He's surrounded by a whole army, thousands upon thousands of other horses. To emphasize the power, the control, the might of our God. This is not some kind of what they call uh, what you see every summer in, in, uh, in Hyde Park, the trooping of the color, just to see some nice flashy uh, choreographs. No, this, what calls to our mind is the might and the power of God. It's an army. It's there in the bottom, in the midst of the myrtle trees. God is there with all his power. And we're called to fear Him. It's not meant to cause us to, 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 to be in awe just because, oh, this, this great army. No, it's a call to fear. Here's the God in all His might and power. In Scripture, we find this happening time and time again. And theologians, they like to give names to these kind of things. And they call them theophanies. Uh, appearances of God or Christophanies, appearances of Christ in the Old Testament. It's not appearances of Jesus because uh, it's only upon His incarnation that He's given the name Jesus. But the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, uh, appears in the Old Testament time and time again. And theologians have called them Christophanies. This is a Christophany. This is a Theophany. God appearing. And you find them happening time and time again. In fact, you look at verse 12 and there's this sense that the, the, the angel of the Lord has this uh, longing. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it fearful as well, but wonderful to us who are Christ's sheep that Christ is longing to come and make an appearance. He pleads, how long? Will thou not have mercy on Jerusalem? The angel of the Lord, the second person of the Trinity, interceding. How long his longing is to come. Longing to start his great redemptive work in history. Longing to show men and women chosen by God the Father. Longing to reveal, to, to display to them the Father. To preach and to teach us. Longing to come and save. 
But alas, it's not in Zechariah's day. But he couldn't stay away, so he comes. And we find him coming in these temporary forms throughout the Old Testament. He comes in the Garden of Eden and he walks with Adam and Eve in the cool of day. He comes to Abraham and Abraham thinks he's just in the presence of men or of some lower angel. But then he realizes that he's actually in the presence of God. He comes to Jacob. He comes to, to Agar and Ishmael in the, in the wilderness. He comes to Joshua as the great commander of, of the, the armies of God. He comes to Samson's parents. And it's one of the, or a few of the many times that God, the angel of the Lord, appears in the Old Testament. And here in Zechariah chapter 1, he comes riding on a red horse. If you go to Zechariah 9, he's riding again, but no longer it's a red horse, it's, a, it's a, on the back of a donkey. The lion of the tribe of Judah the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world displayed for us in the book of Zechariah. But he's riding a horse and he's with his host of angels and he's coming. And this calls reminds me of, the, of Elisha in the Old Testament in the book of Kings. The city is surrounded and, and, the, and the, the, the servant asks him, well, ask my master, what shall we do? What can we do? And what does Elisha say? Do not fear. For those who are with us are, met, are greater than those who are with them. And Elisha prays, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opens the eyes of the servant and he sees and he, he looks at the mountain and he's full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What we are call, being called to see in what the people of God in Zechariah's day, what we are being called to see is that, yes, it might seem that we are few in number. It might seem that we are uh, surrounded by all kinds of, uh, of mighty uh, entities that we are doomed to fail. God calls us to open our eyes and see actually what's going on. God is with us. God is for us. Joshua comes to the city of Jericho and he lifts his eyes, he looks, and he beholds a man that stands opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And what does he ask? Are you for us or are you against us? And what does he say? No, as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have come now. And Joshua falls on his face to the earth and worships him because he realizes that he's in the presence of God. Lo, I'm with you all the days of your life. So this is one of the great themes. This is the first entity that we see in this, in this first night vision of Zechariah. The presence of God is real. But the second entity, the second symbol, the second picture that is given to us in this night vision is the bottom we read of the red horse that is standing among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom. The AV translates it as bottom. Um, some other translations translate it as glen, as a ravine, as a valley. Uh, the bottom here is, is a representative of the world. 
the myrtle trees are in the in this bottom in this deep uh, or in this in these depths this word appears time and time again this hebrew word uh, it's metzula uh, appears time and time again in the old testament and it's always to represent chaos and destruction and the man riding upon the red horse he is standing in the midst among the myrtle trees that are in the deep and what a wonderful thing for us to remind ourselves that he is the lord he's there he's here and he's in the midst of all of this but he's not intimidated by the deep the deeper is the uh, the bottom is the uh, the the waves crashing down there's for instance in exodus 15 this word gets used for the for the waves that come tumbling down upon the 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 pharaoh and his army as they are drowned by the red sea the deeper is is or the bottom is the same word is used in genesis 1 2 there is uh, the wo- the world was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the face of the bottom there is chaos and here comes the spirit hovering over that bottom over that deep and he does his work of creation and he, he, he orders things that are out of con- order When, ju- when God comes to judge the world in Noah's day, what is it that we read is that the, the bottom, the, the deep opened up. What we're being told here is that the angel of the Lord stands in the midst of the myrtle trees and he's not frustrated, he's not intimidated, he's not afraid of the, of the powers that be in this world. He's ruler over all things. He's challenging them. He's challenging the deep. There, we are being told that we have nothing to fear when the Lord is by our side, when the Lord is with us, that the deep has no power. I believe that Pastor Ashley has been going through the book of Jonah with you. Uh, is that right? And what is it that happens to Jonah? I'm not trying to spoil the... I think you know the book of Jonah. Uh, I don't know if Pastor Ashley has arrived there. But Jonah goes into the deep. He gets thrown off the boat. Or he, 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 he recommends that they throw him off the boat. And he goes into the deep. And what, what do you see there? That even in the deep, the Lord is there. Even in the, when he's there... God is there with him as Simon Peter go, goes out of the of the of the boat and he takes his eyes of Christ, off of Christ what a uh, a cautionary tale for us as well he takes his eyes off of Christ and he starts looking at the deep around him at the waves and he starts drowning but Jesus is there and he's lord over the deep and he pulls Simon out of the water When Paul is imprisoned, we've been going through the book of Acts at Ridley Hall, and we're just arriving at that, at that point where Paul is imprisoned in Jerusalem and handed over to the, gen, uh, to the Roman authorities. As he's making his way to Rome, uh, there is a big storm. And what do we read? No, the deep will not stop you. God wants you to go to Rome, Paul, and you will get there. In spite of the... Of the, of the the circumstances that seem to surround you he is lord over the deep 
And that's what God is saying through Zechariah to the people of God coming to Jerusalem. Yes, it might seem that you're very frail, very fragile. It might seem as you look around to all of these big uh, nations surrounding you that you're so uh, threatened by. It might seem that, yes, humanly speaking, they, they are more powerful. But I am in your midst. I am with you might seem that you're few in number compared to the might of Persia, to the might of Egypt. But remind yourself that I'm with you. And if God is for us, who can be against us? The Apostle Paul says. And that's the, th- and that, which leads us to the third picture, doesn't it? The third image in, in Zechariah chapter 1 verse 8 is the myrtle trees. And three times in the, over the, the process of this vision, uh, we, the, there is this emphasis on the myrtle trees. We're told in verse 8, we're told uh, later on uh, uh, in verse 10, I believe in verse uh, 12 as well. There, there is uh, this emphasis in reminding the, the readers, reminding the hearers of the prophecy of, of Zechariah, myrtle trees, that's what you are. That's what we are. We're myrtle trees. It's a grove. It's a, it's a, a, a garden of myrtle trees. There is in, the, in, the, in this satanic deep, in this valley. And that's us. That represents us. We're not compared to some majestic uh, cedars of Lebanon. We're not compared to um, mighty oaks. If, we, if there is a picture in Scripture of what the church of Jesus Christ is, of what the peculiar people of God are, it's a myrtle tree. You know what a myrtle tree looks like? Have you ever seen one? It's a small shrub. It's, it's not very big. They don't tend to be very impotent. You can see them quite clearly. Usually myrtle trees grow in, in wilderness uh, places and they, 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 they stand in stark contrast with its surrounding, especially in the Middle East, uh, in the culture where Zechariah is writing to us from. You know, myrtle trees stand out clearly. And they, they speak about a place where there is water. They speak about a place where there is nourishment. But you can see them. They're ever, uh, I think you call them evergreen uh, trees. So there's always leaves in them, which probably speaks about the, the presence of grace. And I'm not trying to read too much into the, into the picture here. But they are small shrubs. And that's what God says we are. Small shrubs, myrtle trees. Nothing to write home about. Nothing that is impressive in the eyes of this world. Not like Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, he's this mighty oak in the, in the, in the, in the image, in the, in, the, in the vision that he has. It's, uh, in Daniel 4, we read thus, were the visions of mine head in my bed, uh, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong, and the eye thereof reached unto heaven, and the sight thereof to the end of, the, of all the earth. The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and it was meant for all the beasts of the field that shadow under it, and the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the bows thereof, and all flesh was fed for it, of it. It's the vision that Nebuchadnezzar has. 
But what he sees then is that someone comes and fells that tree. And Daniel had to tell the king uh, reluctantly the bad news. The tree you saw is you. The tree that thou sawest, which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto the heaven, and the sight thereof unto all the earth, whose leaves were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was made for all, under which the beast of the field dwelt, and upon whose branches the fowls of the heaven had their habitation. That's you. You might seem bold and mighty, you might seem self sufficient, you might seem confident. But it will fall. Nebuchadnezzar was to be chopped up. Do you think great things about yourself? Do you think you're self-sufficient? Do you think you're, you're mighty? You're not. Think of the many men and the many movements throughout the history of this world of people who thought that they were able to stand on their two feet and what came about of them. What, what happened to all the great uh, movements? They fall. They don't last. They don't stand. But here the little Christian church, a mustard seed, a, a little movement begun by fishermen, begun by a, a, a prophet hailing from Nazareth of all places. And he continues, and he grows. And we're still here. And we will be still here. After this present uh, epoch, uh, history of the world, the church will stand. However long the Lord tarries to come and... Uh, in the great day of judgment, if the Lord gives us 200 more years, in 200 years, whatever empires are standing today, they will have fallen and the church will still remain. We'll still be here. Think of it. Where's the Roman Empire? Where's the Persian Empire of Zechariah's day? Where's the Roman Empire of, of Jesus's and the, and the Apostles' day? And after that came the Byzantine Empire. And after that came the Holy Roman Empire, the Ottoman Empire. All of them came and went. And the church still is here. Look at the history of the 20th century. How many rows, like mighty oaks, like great majestic cedars of Lebanon, thinking that they could destroy this myrtle tree that is the church of Christ. Where's Stalin now? Where's Marx Where's Hitler in, in the Third Reich? Where are they all now? They come, they grew, and they were felled. But the Church of Christ remains. Why? Not because we're so great. Not because we're so determined. <laughs> if it was left to our determination, we would have given up. Had not the Lord been on our side, let Israel, let the Church say, had not the Lord been on our side, we have been eaten up alive. In fact, we were. But the Lord was on our side. And in the midst of martyrdom, the church continued. We're not oaks or cedars. We're small little myrtle trees. 
that the man riding on the red horse is standing in our midst. We're bruised reeds, the prophet says. We're smoking flaxes. Our Lord Jesus says we're flock of sheep among wolves. That's what we are. But there is beauty in it. There is much beauty in the presence of the holy ones of Israel. That's who we are. So be not discouraged. When you look uh, at the providence of God in, a, in our own day, don't lose hope. Don't, don't, as you think about the great revivals of the past where churches like this would have been full, don't think, oh, we're doomed. We're just one step away from seeing and experiencing it firsthand again. And the Lord can do it. And the Lord will do it in his time. In the, mid, in the meantime, let us make sure, let's make sure that indeed the man riding on the horse is in our midst, that we are with the Lord in our presence. And that's both as a church, to you, Woolwich Evangelical Church, and for you individually. Make sure that God is with you every step of the way, every day of the week, every living moment. And how do you make sure of that? By being a person of prayer, by being a person of, of meditating on God's word. As God speaks to you, you speak back. Uh, Spurgeon, and I think I can quote Spurgeon in this, in, the, uh, in this audience. Spurgeon used to talk about the breathing of the soul. It's the breathing in of reading scripture and the breathing out of praying. That's what we need. And that's why we make sure that God is walking with us or that we are walking with God. You see, the church is not compared to any mighty oak or cedar. It's a little myrtle tree. But the myrtle tree is flourishing, ever flourishing. It might be hidden. It might be unobserved. It might be... Uh, Certainly not in the eyes of the Lord anything to write home about. There's no honor in a myrtle tree. It doesn't attract many people to come in. Oh, let's go and see that, that myrtle tree. No, just there. But there is a sense that it's still enjoying the presence. If, there, if it's enjoying the presence of God, it's evergreen, ever flourishing. And that's what we need. Even if we are small, even if we're surrounded by a great deep of this world, there is a sense that in the, in the bottom of that valley, in the presence of Christ, the, the man riding upon the, the horse, the red horse, there is tranquility, there is peace, there is serene enjoyment of his presence. It is a token, it is a, a picture of his victory that the myrtle tree stands, that God is in them, with them, and for them. And he is with us. The God of Jacob, the God of Israel, 
He is for us. He is our refuge. He is our strength. He is on our side. Yes, there is a wilderness around us. There is a desert that we must traverse in our path to glory, into the, in our path to the, to, the, to the promised land. And there will be challenges, and there will be difficulties, and there will be uh, uh, trials and tribulations. But what does the Lord say? Count them all joy when you are faced with these things. Why? Because these things are a part of his wonderful plan. Just like John in Patmos. John in Patmos, what is he told? Be of good cheer. The one who is the Lamb of God, who is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, is with you. And he has that vision towards the end of the book of Revelation. Of, there will be no more sea. Again, the, the language of deep, the language of hollow, the, the language of, of these storms. There will be no more sea. And you think, why will there be no more sea in heaven? It's pictures. It's symbols. The sea for John represented the, the divide, the, the abyss that separated him from his, from his brethren. He was there exiled in, in the island. And he, he, when he sees the, the glory to come, he says, there will be no more sea. There will be no more separation. I will be in the presence of all my kindred. I will be with them. There is a time. There is a time and it is coming that there will be no more sea. In the meantime, there, there is a sea. There is a hollow. And you, we might wish that things were very much different. Uh, uh, trust me when I say every single Lord's Day, every single prayer meeting, you look and you see the, the same faces. It's not that I bemoan the, the, the ones that I, that I see, but I would wish to see more. We might wish that the churches were full. And we do. We might wish that our providence would be very different. But in the meantime, let us trust the Lord of our providence, the Lord that has called us to be where we are, the Lord that has said, I will prepare a feast for you. I'll be your host. I will minister to you. As long as you're in, the, in my presence, I will prepare a table for, for you in the presence of your enemies. Let us make sure that God is with us, that God is for us, and He will be with you. He will be with you as a church, as a congregation, whatever challenges lie ahead. He will be with you personally in this week to come. Whatever you have to face, perhaps you are dreading some of the things you will have to face this week. That meeting with your boss, that meeting with, with, with the doctor because you've had this uh, symptom and you're wondering if it's, if it's uh, cancerous, if it's something that, or the, the, that diagnosis that is coming, the Lord will be with you. Regardless of what, it can, what the diagnosis is, regardless of what the decision is, regardless of the Lord will be with you if you seek to walk with Him. Rem remember that you're not alone. You might be a myrtle tree, but the Lord, your God, is in your midst. The mighty God who is going to be with you, for He Himself has said it. I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. Brothers and sisters, God, God is with us. God is for us. 
I'll finish with the words of the Apostle Paul. Well, what, what can and what shall we say to, in light of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, perhaps, nakedness or peril or sores? For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. 642 speaks of this great assurance that we have of the triumph of Zion, of Zion. Triumphant Zion, lift your head from dust and ashes and the dead. Though humbled long, arise at length. Once more assume your Savior's strength. Can we do that? Can we raise our triumphant voices, even though surrounded by a great deep, in the assurance that God is with us and for us? Let's sing. <laughs>